Well, let me tell you about our Josiah. Uh, we have a grandson, Josiah, who's out near Washington, D.C., Herner, Virginia. Jo our Josiah was born 16 years ago in Fairfax Baptist, no, Fairfax Children's Hospital in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, he was born with no kidneys. He was on dialysis 11 hours every night for two years. And of course, many, not so many years ago, a child like that would never have survived. But not only did he survive two years of age, he had a kidney transplant, and he obviously has some health problems because of that. But this year, now this is Grandfather Bragging, so y'all just take it <laughs> like that. But this year, uh, he goes to Temple Baptist Christian School in Herndon, Virginia, a great church and school there. And uh, he won first place in ODAX, that's the Old Dominion Christian Association, which is vicious fine art competition. That's Fairfax Baptist Temple and Heritage Baptist Church and Great Oak Baptist Church. So he won first place in ODAX and then first place in the whole state of Virginia and then went to the fine arts uh, at Bob Jones University and won second place, he's 16 years old, won second place in the nation in their fine arts and preaching. And so uh, I just thought I'd let you know that, that God does, you know, he's our Josiah. When he was born, he was in the hospital for months and surgeries one after the other, but God does do miracles. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of things I want to tell you. I can't uh, let it pass, but I wanted you to know that Bill Brower and Tammy, they're our good friends. And uh, some of you may remember this and some of you may not. Brother Brower uh, was a pastor. And like many pastors, they were having missions conference. And sometimes the pastor and folk are praying, God, please call somebody out of my church to go to the mission field. And God did. God called the pastor. Amen. He was pastor of Central Baptist Church in Greenville, Tennessee. Amen. And God called them, them to go. And they went over to Tanzania first and then up to Kenya and worked out in a, real, in a remote area, village area. But right now he's in Nairobi in a city that you wouldn't find much different than going to New York City or any big city, uh, and they're doing a great job. Well, last night I told you a story about the Congo, about Zaire. It was, it was originally the Democratic, no, it was the Belgian Congo. Then it was Zaire. Now it's the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we were there. Uh, and I had a great time there, and I told you about that last night. So I want to tell you my story tonight. How many of y'all would agree last night I told the story, but my sermon wasn't long? <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll, I'll do the same thing again tonight. But way back, and most of you didn't hear it, and a few of you might have, but I'm going to tell you a part of a story that I told here in the past, but I didn't know the rest of the story back then, and that story has progressed, but... Um, a few of you remember, and those if you've been in my college classes, Linda and I went to the mission field. We were just kids. I mean, literally, we were just dumb green kids. I mean, I, I tell the in two weeks, we'll, three weeks, we'll have our candidate school at BIMI, and we have all these young missionaries. And I tell them, all young missionaries going to the field, they're dumb as gourds. <laughs> now, I don't mean they're lacking intelligence. They're not. They're smart. They just never lived in a different place. And they have no idea how people think and do things. And, you know, in Senegal, we ate with our hands. You pointed with your tongue. Where's Linda? 
I've been wanting to do that all day long, but uh, I guess not really. <laughs> but uh, so we went to the mission field, and for 16 years, we lived in the Sahara, in a Muslim country. It's not the easiest place in the world. And uh, yet we'd only been there a few months. We jumped right in. We'd, we'd been in France studying French, had to learn a different language. But some people came in from a village and said to me, would you come out to our village and teach us the Bible? Man, what I, that's what I'm here for. And uh, we took off and we went out this village out of, outside away from our town and uh, started my first Bible study that eventually became a church. But in the first I was meeting, we started in this uh, thatch hut. And I mean, you could literally stand up almost and touch the walls. And it was 100, 100 degrees, 110 degrees in the daytime there. And so people kept coming in and coming in. Have you ever tried to preach with somebody standing you know, right in front of you like this? <clears throat> and I'm, I am sweating. I mean, the water is just dripping off my nose, running down my back. And I told them, folks, we cannot do this. I can't breathe. We got... So for two years, we, we called it the First Baptist Tree. We met under a tree for two years. And uh, that, was, that worked a lot better. But uh, once people got saved, uh, we taught them to give, and we, they, we bought cement, and you could dig the sand right out of the ground there, and we made block and eventually built the church. But in those early days, now we had people trust Christ as their Savior, but then there are a lot of things they cannot teach you in Bible college. Like, if you live in the Sahara and you're Baptist, you need some water. And all the water there came out of deep wells. I mean, it's really very little water. <clears throat> and 10 months of the year there, it didn't rain a drop. And Linda had one clothesline. She would hang up clothes. <clears throat> when she finished hanging them up, she went back, took them down. They were already dry because it was so, it just sucked the humidity right out. So uh, we had had people get saved, and I'm, we're trying to decide what are we going to do we don't have water we're not near a river there's we're not near the ocean and so the farmers came to me and said pastor it's going to rain in a, a couple of months here they call rain season it doesn't rain all day it just comes heavy rains it's strange that it comes from the from the central sahara across our country and pours rain thunderstorms for a little couple of months there and when it rained the whole world changed I mean, the crops came up. They grow millet and peanuts. Uh, we had mountains of peanuts when they harvest them. And the flowers bloomed, and the water ran down in a couple of places. Instead of sand, it had clay. And the water ran in there made this beautiful little pond. And I told Linda, honey, we got water. We got to baptize these people. It won't be here long. We got to baptize. So now just picture I never baptized in my life. I saw Dr. Lee Robertson do it every service, not every Sunday, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, he baptized. But I'd never done it. So uh, it was a little nerve-wracking, nerve you know, I'd, trying to, it's, it's a very serious thing, very important. So we had all these, invited all these people, and they came out, and they're watching, many, many Muslim people watching. So we had testimonies, and we sang, and I gave a little short message, and then I waded out in this little mud hole. It's just a little pond, 
and I had to go way out, like where you folks are sitting back there. I had to go that far or further, really, to get deep enough where I could baptize. So I'm out there, my knees are knocking because I've got to do it right. So my first person, I, I baptized him, I got him down, I got him up, didn't drop him. I thought, I can do this. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, I'm not going to walk back out through this muck. I'll just motion for my next person to come in behind him. And uh, he started out, and I motioned, and the next person came. And it was a, a dear lady, and you have to think, they didn't know what they were supposed to do. And they wear long wraparound skirts to their ankles and this big flowing robe. And, and they just have two of those, an everyday one and a go-to-church or go-to-town boo-boo is what they call it. I motioned for her to come, and she did. And she just took that robe and just <laughs> pulled it right over the top of her head. <clears throat> and, uh, and there she comes. And I'm standing way out there in the middle of this water <clears throat> thinking, Dr. Robertson never told me what I'm supposed to do now. <laughs> so... Uh, Missionaries have a lot to learn when they go to the mission field. It is a learning process. Yeah, that's the only way you can learn some of those things. Those you'll never, it never happened again. I learned a big lesson. It's my fault. I should have explained it better, but would you have thought that? No, you wouldn't have thought any different than me. Well, I've told that story. A few of you have heard it before. But i got to tell you the rest of it. Now, that was 42 or 3 years ago at least. So not so long ago, I had an email from a fellow missionary who still lives and works out in that part of the world, and I hadn't had any correspondence with her. She's involved in Bible translation, and she sent me an email, and she said, Brother Godfrey, I just thought you'd want to know this. Do you remember Sheikh and Jai? Well, Sheikh was that first man I ever baptized. She said the other day, he was giving his testimony in the church he started. Now, just think about that a moment for the missionary hearing that. Somebody that you won to the Lord 42 or 3 years ago. And he's usually, she said, he's usually quiet, but he was waxing eloquent. But before she told me that, she said he was giving his testimony in the church that you started. And his son in Galben is the pastor of the church. And... <laughs> Oh, man, your heart's just... We went back and looked up slides. We didn't take pictures. We back then it was slides. Went back, and we had a picture of this little guy standing with a little chalkboard with Galben and Jai and the village name. And we won him to the Lord back when he was just about six or seven years old. And now he's the pastor of that church that we started back in the early 70s. But she said the old man was waxing eloquent because he's an old man now. He said, yeah, back in the old days, when I signed by, they can't say Godfrey, so they gave me an African name. Back in the old days, when I signed by, came out here, we didn't have to have concrete basins to baptize people in. He just took us out in the pond, plucked us down in the muck with the turtles. <laughs> so if you heard the first part of that story and didn't hear the second part, and again, I have fun telling my stories, but I tell them on purpose. Because I think it helps you to understand Hey, look, we missionaries, we are not super spiritual giants. We are not. We're just people 
just like you all. Lynn and I were just a little country boy and a girl down in the uh, foothills of the Smoky Mountains in South Carolina. Never, our folk thought driving up the mountain to Asheville, they'd cross the world <laughs> and never went anywhere, never wanted to go anywhere. And uh, I'm saying all that, say, isn't God really good? I mean, he'll take somebody. Nobody would have ever looked at us and said, no, there's somebody God can use. And we didn't set out to travel. Nobody would believe this about us. We don't even like to travel. But that's all we've done most of our 20 years in Africa and 10 out in the Far East and the last many years all over the world. And we get to go out and see what God's doing. Now, y'all heard a part of it from Brother, Brother Brower tonight. Isn't it wonderful to be part of the ministry? You can't go, most of you will never go to Kenya or Tanzania or the Congo or Colombia, South America, or anywhere else maybe, but uh, you can help uh, those people that God has called there. Now, having said that, Pastor, I'm going to go back tonight to the book of Romans, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to... I'm going to preach out of Romans chapter 16 and the first 16 verses of it. And I, I can almost promise you that you never have heard a mission sermon from this chapter. You probably you may not have heard of anybody preach from this chapter, and you'll see when I get there in a moment why I say that. But before I do, I, I want to follow up on my message last night in chapter 15 of Romans because... Context is important. In other words, what's happening when, when, when you read Romans 16, you don't want to just jump into that chapter without knowing what's been going on. So last night, I preached about Paul the Apostle, later on in his life and ministry, writing to the church at Rome and saying, he's given all that beautiful doctrinal passage and practical passage from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 14. And he says to them, all of the Bible teaches missions. And he quoted the law. He quoted the prophets. He quoted the writings, the Psalms. And he said, I'm going to come see you because God has put on my heart a burden to go to Spain. Now, some people think Paul never made it there. I'm not quite so sure about that. I, I couldn't prove it. It's not a doctrinal issue, really. But I believe Paul ended up at some point of time... But what I know for sure is Paul's writing to them and say and says, I'm not a young man anymore. How many of you believe God can use older people? Amen. Some of y'all need to say amen, okay? Uh, you don't have to be young for God to use you. And Paul said, I've got a, a burning desire in my heart to make it to the furthest place where nobody's at. I want to go there. I want to give the gospel. I want to see people saved. I want to plant a church. That was his goal, I'm sure. And he says to them, I'm coming to see you, and I want you to help me. In verse number uh, 24, he says, I want you to bring me forward on my journey. And I talked about that, that last night. What does that mean? It means that anything we can do to help people get to the place God's called them is bringing them forward on their journey. And... I want you to look, the reason I want to go back to this chapter, in, in the verse number 30, Paul is still writing to that same group, those Roman Christians, and he says, Now I beseech you, uh, brethren, 
for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, I came back to that to say this. This thing of getting missionaries to the field is not just about giving. It's about a lot more than that. It's about praying for them. It's about loving them. It's about fellowshipping with them. That's why, look, Linda and I grew up in a, in a church, in a denominational Baptist church, but a denominational Baptist church where all of our young life, we never saw a missionary. They were, all, they were paid by the convention. The convention. Uh, they never came by a church. They didn't have to raise support. Look, there's a beauty in the way. Now, I know it's some work involved. <laughs> it means the missionary has to travel and go, but, but it's a beautiful plan. Because God joins together churches with a missionary and a burden and a ministry so that that church can get part of the blessing. Just think what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. And all the people, some of those people I just told you about tonight, Sheikh and Jai and, and Galbin, and I could go down the list and you wouldn't understand their names and they, they wouldn't do everything like you do, but... Uh, how you eat your food, whether you eat with your hand or with chopsticks or, you know, that, that, those things really don't matter a lot. What does matter is are we going to see them in eternity? Now, that's kind of an introduction that I don't usually give. But in Romans chapter 16, it's a fun chapter to read. And so just bear with me as I read this list of names. But in chapter 16, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is, which is in Sancria, that you, re- you receive her in the Lord as becoming saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer or helper. That's a good French word. Succore means to help. Of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but unto all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Ephaneus, uh, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilus, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane and our helper in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Salute them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labored in the Lord. Uh, salute the beloved Persis, which laboreth much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus, and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a, an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now, I know you're wondering, what in the world, Brother Godfrey, or what, what, is, what does that have to do? Does it have anything to do with missions? And I want to help you a little bit here tonight. 
I, th I think I can clearly show you that it has a lot to do with missions. This is one of God's Hall of Fames in the Bible. How many of you love to read Hebrews chapter 11? And all those folk that by faith did the, all the many, many different things. Here's a list of some of the believers in the church at Rome. Um, and let me just start by saying this. Every local church, every biblical local church ought to be a friendly, welcoming church. Now, don't raise your hand or anything, and you all are you all are not this way, but have you ever been in a church where you can walk in and sit down and stay the whole service and leave and no one so much as says, how do you do? I mean, when God calls a boy from the south and they start doing deputation in the north, they're in for a shock. And the guy from the north goes to the south, and grandma's sitting in front of him, gets excited, and pulls out her hanky, and glory to God, hallelujah, and they don't know what to do with that. But the truth is, every church, every local church, ought to be a friendly, welcoming, kind place where everybody feels welcome. Doesn't matter what they look like. Well, so oh, you, but Pastor, look at that guy. Yeah, that's exactly the person you need to make your make your way right to them and welcome them and let them know who you are and find out if they're safe, where they're at, if they're local. Um, this thing of names. How many of you? How many of you are really good at remembering people's names? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not so good. I remember faces. I know that person. Sometimes I can call the name. But if it's more complicated than Bill, I may not, okay? But uh, Dr. Don Sisk, who's our great friend, and uh, he'll be 89 in a few days. Next week, he'll turn 89 years old. He's the only man in the world I know who travels more than I do. And, and that's saying something. But he went to Japan in the early years. He's a Kentucky hillbilly. And he said he got to Japan, and he got a hold of one of those Japanese Bibles, and he looked at that thing, and he said, man, the chickens have been walking across the pages. Uh, he's, I've never learned that, but he did learn it. But um, after he learned Japanese and he had a church started, and that's quite a story. I can tell you some of that sometime too. But when he, he was in the church... And they had this first-time visitor. This dear lady from the community came first time, and her name was Mrs. Uh, Kubota. Anyone out here, do you have Kubota tractors? Yeah, a Kubota uh, lawn, lawn tractors and all kind of, that's a family name in Japan. That's like Godfrey or Smith or Jones in Japan, Kubota. And so this lady came, and her name was Mrs. Kubota. But in Japanese, the way the language works, you have a consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel. And those vowels are important. And uh, Dr. Sis didn't say Kubota. He got the two vowels backwards. And he said, we're so happy to have Mrs. Kobuta with us today. Well, that doesn't mean anything to you. But, okay, Buta is a pig. And Ko makes it a small whatever. <laughs> Like Miss Little Pig. <laughs> and he said, what was even worse, she was rather portly. And that made it, but 
I know y'all think, Brother God, if you have too much fun. I know. Leave me alone. Um, I want you to think about some, some very simple thoughts from these verses I read to you. How strangely attractive names can be. Just shadowy names which appear for a flash on the pages of the Bible, and they're gone. Most of the people that I read, a few of them, Priscilla and Aquila, a few others, you knew the name, but most of these people, I read this long list of names, I think there were 28 different individuals. We don't know a lot about them. They were not apostles. Uh, some of them were probably not teachers or anything else, but just good, faithful church members. Yet behind every name is a story. And folks, I know you know this, but this whole thing of missions, it's just not duty that we have to accomplish. It, it is that a little bit too. But it's about people. I mean, every one of us set out whatever ministry we're in, we're setting out, we're going fishing. And we, when you, how many of you go fishing? I want to catch something. I mean, I don't want to sit there all day. And I, I, want to, I want to see fish bite. And, come, and it's about people. There's several women mentioned in this list of names. Now listen to me. There are some churches where men don't think the women ought to do anything. They certainly don't get that from the Bible. Because without the, just think about Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene and uh, Priscilla and just go on down Dorcas and go down the list and great missionaries. I tell you what, we missionary men, we couldn't get anything in the world done without our wives. I mean, you couldn't live where we lived. I tell people all the time, young missionaries, you can't go there where we lived as a single young man. Your brother God, what are you talking about? Some lady asked me to be her husband every week we lived there. We were there 16 years. <laughs> they would propose marriage to me and let us stand beside me. And I always said, I can't feed the one I have now. And they would laugh. And I said, if I married you, you two would fight, fuss and fight. Because there they have multiple wives. They... They pound their rice and millet with these big wooden pestles. They fight each other with those things. They pour boiling water on each other. I mean, anybody that thinks polygamy is great, they never lived in it. <laughs> Here's another thought I want you to see in this. Notice this. Paul doesn't lump all these people together. Yep. People are different. That's good. That's good and love delights to single out its objects. And recalls them one by one. See, God loves the world. That's true. For God so loved the world. You know what that really means? That means God loves you. And God loves me. And God cares about individuals. God knows them by name. You remember that story when Mary Magdalene, she had been following Christ and her life was tied up in being his disciple and she loved him. He cast demons from her. But she watched, she watched him be nailed to a cross, and, she, and his blood flowed down, and she watched them take his body off of the cross and put it in a borrowed tomb. You remember that she came into the garden after, the, after three days later, 
and she's crying so hard and, and the angel said, Woman, why weepest thou? And finally Jesus said to her, Woman, why, why weepest thou? And uh, she was crying her heart out. But Jesus only said one word, Mary. Everything's all right. Because <laughs> Jesus knows exactly who she is and he knows who you are and this list of people, it's not just a list. I hope what I've said already helps you. This is not just a list of names that are hard to read. They're fellow workers. Think about this. Several of these names given here are Jewish names. Several of them are clearly Greek names. Philologus, friend of the word. And Hermes, and, and a, a group of them are Greek names. Several of them are Roman names. Several of them are African names. Now here's a, a, another lesson I see here. There should be no distinction in a church when anyone comes in. If their background's not the same as ours, it's okay. We love Lynn and I get to preach. My good friend, Pastor Bob Wall, Faithway Independent Baptist Church in Ajax, Ontario, Canada. Uh, boy, I love being there. There, the last time we were there, they may be more than that now. There are twenty-six different ethnic groups who go to that church. Man, when they have international banquet, just just imagine. I mean, I ate blue, I ate all kinds of stuff. The last time I was there, and then I can't. Everything I say makes me think of something else. That's the church that Kim Fook goes to. Now, you may not know the name Kim Fook. She's a dear friend to Linda and me. Kim Fook is known by most people as the girl in the picture or the napalm girl. I mean, remember 1973, there was a picture that won a Pulitzer Prize of a little girl running out of a village in Vietnam with her clothes all burned off and napalm all over. That's Kim Fook. Most people have no idea that she's one of the finest Christians in the world. She almost died. That napalm gets on you, it, it just like a jelly. It, it, it burns all the way to the bone. It didn't get her face, but her left arm, her back. A Buddhist, when, when they found her, they wrapped her in, in cloth and tried to find a hospital in Vietnam that would take her, and nobody was interested in doing it. And her little mother was trying to find her. She couldn't find her. And finally, a hospital took her, and they took, they took her and put her in the morgue. And for four days and four nights, she lay in the morgue. Now, she just wrote a book. If you love to read, uh, they, they've been books written about her, but she wrote one a few years ago called Fire Road. Boy, I, I would recommend it. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere, Fire Road. And uh, she opens up her heart, but she struggled with bitterness. Why would they do that to me? Until an American doctor said, Kim, I don't think you understand. Napalm, if air hits it, it flames. And that four days in that moor gave it time to dissipate and saved your life. And she finally got out of the hospital. Her mother found her. And she went in a library. Now listen to this. She went in a library in Vietnam and found a Bible and read it and got saved. 
Vietnam was sending her out to tell her story and make money off of her. They sent her to Cuba. She met a man down there, North Korean, and they got married. North Vietnamese, I'm sorry, North Vietnamese, North Vietnamese. Well, God sent, I mean, not the Vietnamese government sent them to Russia for her to tell her story. On the way back, she and her husband got off the plane in Canada, hid in a bathroom, and defected. And they got in Faithway Independent Baptist Church. And she travels the world now. She's been anybody, the Queen of England and anybody that's anybody, Kim Fuchs witnessed to them. The doctors in Vietnam told her, you'll never, you'll never have any children. The napalm did too much damage. But God in His grace gave, her, gave them two sons that are grown and serving the Lord. One of them's a BIMI missionary with his wife in Indonesia right now. While we're here, they're over winning people to Christ. Anyway, I'm just telling you. See, God specializes in individuals. By the way, I can't. I guess all this stuff is in me. I, it has to come out. Her mom and daddy came from Vietnam to Canada, and they both got saved. All her siblings, the other kids running in that picture, they didn't have napalm on. Well, those are her little brothers and sisters. They came over to Canada. They got saved. Her daddy's in, her dad's in heaven now. Her mom's about this tall. Last time we were up there, we were sitting around talking, and her little mother, who doesn't speak English, she only speaks Vietnamese, walked up, stuck something in my pocket, and we got back to the room that night, and I reached in there, and it's a $100 Canadian money. You know how humbling it is? Well, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, how many of you listen to through the Bible sometimes? Dr. McGee said this. In this chapter, Paul left the mountain peaks of doctrine and came down to the pavements of Rome. Because that's what it's about. It's about people. Well, there's some, there's some lessons here about missions. I, I'm, I'm almost finished with this. But I told you last night, sometimes I lie. Uh, but I don't think I will. Let me give you some thoughts about missions from these chapters. Number one, missions is more than just winning people to Christ. Now, I'm all for winning people to Christ. Okay. Lynn and I have been in soul winning for 53 years. We've been married. We ran a bus route at Highland Park Baptist Church in the 70s. We've been, we won people to Christ. We never dreamed this. In all, all, six continents now, not countries, continents. The only place we haven't won somebody to Christ is Antarctica. And I don't plan on going. <laughs> I'm not planning on it. But anyway, missions is about more than just winning people to Christ. Because it's about winning people and teaching them and getting them fellowshipping and enjoying the glories of God and spending time together and training leaders. And a good missionary always trains local people to be leaders. So we Americans, we we have a big ego problem. We think if we don't do it, they can't do it. That's, that's That's a lie of the devil. If it's Bible, it's Bible. If it's truth, it's truth, and it's not just for Americans. So missions is about more than just winning people to Christ. Okay, number two. Paul was more than just a soul winner. He was a friend maker. Now, I've already told you I'm a big believer in trying to win people to Christ. Everywhere I go, i got gospel tracts in my pocket. I have them in my car. we, We give them out. We talk to people. But really, Paul was a friend maker. Christians 
will never thrive alone. The Bible comparison to, to we believers is this. We're sheep. All right, if you've ever been in Africa and seen African sheep, that's not a compliment. <laughs> I mean, sheep are dumb. Sheep flock together. They don't do well by themselves. And uh, by the way, folks, neither do we. We need each other. I mean, there are times, I don't care how strong you are spiritually, there are times you can get discouraged. It happens to all of us. So we need each other. My third thought. These were fragrant Christians. Not smelly ones. Fragrant ones. Do you like to be around? Have you ever been around somebody that's just negative And they got a little cloud that follows them around. And uh, there's a... I'll just be very generic. I probably shouldn't even say this, but there's a pastor that I, he's my dear friend. I love him to death. But if, when he calls me to come preach his conference, I pray that I already have a meeting book. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have said that, but it's, I remember the first time I went there, I'm up trying to preach missions, get everybody excited about it. He got up. So let me tell you a little history of our giving here in this church. When I came, we gave this much. And next year it went down to this much. And, and I'm saying, oh, preacher, please just be quiet. Let me talk. <laughs> we don't like to be around people who are bitter and sour and abusive and boresome and depressing. I heard a mission leader say something like this not so long ago. I tell my missionaries, stay away from other missionaries. Now, I don't believe that. I, uh, missionaries get thrown into situations where they're working really close together and we get to know more about each other than we ought to know and closer than brothers and sisters. And, but Linda and I had the privilege of all, all of our years in Senegal working. Uh, we were the first ones to go there, but over the years we had three other families come to work with us. Different is night and day. Let me tell you how much. One of them, Brother Ron Bragg, who came not long after us, he's a, a sailor from western Missouri and went to Bob Jones University. Walter Amos was an Air Force man from western North Carolina with the Tabernacle Bible Institute. Swanee Lindquist was a Green Beret from California and went to Biola. I'm a Marine from South Carolina with Tennessee Temple. <laughs> you can't get any more varied much. But you know, folks, we, we work together and love each other, and we're still, all of us, Brother Amos is in heaven, but we're all good friends, and uh, we just need to swallow our pride and work together. How did Paul do that? Let me, let me just kind of close out this. How did Paul make this happen? Well, there's several reasons. I, Paul was gracious in dealing with people. If you don't believe that, go back and read Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, what a, what a chapter. And let me just read the last verse. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, uh, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Paul was gracious. 
He taught people the Word of God. He called people, in this chapter I didn't point out, but he called them brothers in Christ. He talks about they were in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, unto Christ, and, and so on. I think Paul could look at somebody and see the good qualities in them. By the way, a good pastor can do that. Somebody will come into church and they get saved and they don't know a lot about the Bible and they, they're learning and growing. But a good pastor will see the potential. Boy, that, that person, that man, that woman, that young person, God could really use them. And uh, he's patient with them and he, uh, he has a pastor's heart. And the proof of that is this. You know as well as I do that when you think Paul, what do you normally, you can't almost think just Paul. It was Paul and Barnabas. It was Paul and Silas. It was Paul and Timothy. It was Paul and Tyler, Titus and, and many others. Because Paul had a, what did he have about him? He had Jesus Christ about him. And letting Christ rule in his own life enabled him to be able not just to win people to Christ. Think about how in the world did he go to some cities, he and Barnabas, and stay a year, a year and a half, and found a church and leave it with leaders because they saw Christ in him. And he, he had a way about bringing out the good qualities in them and teaching them. And that's what we missionaries try to do is we go out. We don't, there are some mission groups, they just win people, they never plan to get them together. But when you, when you get people together and fellowshipping and helping each other, um, that's what it's all about. And dear Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to understand that, it, that we are not the center of the universe. It's not just about me. In fact, Lord, it's not about me at all. It's about you. And I pray that we will learn to glorify you. I pray that we will learn to uh, see the best in people and to be encouragers and friend makers and helpers as obviously this large group of people were there in that church at Rome. And I just ask you to work in our hearts uh, that that might be true for us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Just